Hi, this is John Breyer with Mainly Matters, and our guest today is Sean Faircloth. Sean is the executive director of Maine Mental Health Connections, which manages the Together Place, a peer-run recovery center that is based in Bangor. Sean, thanks for coming on the program with us today. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's our, our pleasure. We love hearing about uh, good things that are happening in Maine, and certainly uh, what you folks are doing is a good thing, and we're going to talk about that today. Can you briefly give us an overview of the Together Place? Who do you serve, and, and what do you do for our listeners that are unfamiliar with it? Sure. Um, Together Place Peer Run Recovery Center, and Peer Run is a intentional part of the name, meaning that uh, people who are in recovery are uh, guiding the activities uh, that are participated in here. Uh, primary focus is groups. They're all free uh, for people who are in recovery, either mental health recovery or substance use recovery. Oftentimes it's both. Um, and we have a, a building located at uh, 2nd and Union Street in Bangor in a neighborhood that has long faced uh, some challenges. Uh, socioeconomic uh, challenges, if you will. Uh, in fact, uh, sadly, with recent statistics, it came out that Penobscot County had more overdoses than Cumberland County, which is remarkable given that Cumberland County is uh, almost twice the population of Penobscot County. Uh, and the highest overdose location within Penobscot County is right here, this section of, of Bangor. Bangor's made a lot of strides. Uh, I was involved in the founding or actually had the idea for the founding of the Maine Discovery Museum, which helped us with downtown revitalization here uh, in the 21st century. We have the waterfront and the waterfront concerts that's uh, developed. And uh, so that's been really positive. And wedged kind of between those, if you will, at a right angle is uh, this this neighborhood. And um, so we're working with people often who are very low income, sometimes people who are homeless, uh, working to get folks into the recovery movement and then uh, support them as they become leaders themselves of recovery. And that's a big part of what we do is try to get people to take charge of their own uh, lives, uh, whether they face a mental health or substance use uh, diagnosis. Wow. Okay. Well, well thanks for sharing that. Um, I was doing some research looking at your website. And um, as I understand it, the Together Place actually opened in 1981, quite a while ago, as a social club. And obviously, it's gone on to make uh, significant changes and transformations over the years, but particularly in the last couple of years. Can you just give us a little overview of the history of the Together Place and, and how it's transformed over the past 40 years into what it is today? Sure. So 40 years ago, uh, some may recall there was a consent decree. In fact, it's still it's about to close. But the consent decree related to release of people uh, from what in those days were called uh, uh, Augusta Mental Health Institute and Bangor Mental Health Institute. Uh, this is part of a trend that was going on throughout the United States. Um, and uh, those institutions sort of released people with the idea of getting people more autonomy. But they uh, thought, well, folks shouldn't be just left out without resources. And so they created uh, this mental health social club system, which worked well in many ways. Uh, but in more recent, just the last couple of years, the state which uh, with whom we contract uh, transitioned to a peer-run recovery model, which focuses more on 
groups and interactions and one-on-one sessions with our certified intentional peer support specialists. These are people who are, most people have heard of recovery coaches. It's like a recovery coach, but they get extra training. They cover both mental health and substance use. A lot of recovery coaches are focused only on substance use, but there's really a big issue of dual diagnosis, both. And uh, so we have long served uh, both. And um, it's the social club, as you might imagine. Now there are, uh, you know, places where people can socially interact, and that's good. But this is more focused on helping each other with people who share a history, working together to stay in long-term recovery. So that's more the emphasis now. There's also been a significant change in that we got some grants where uh, I was able to supervise some major renovations and refurbishment of our building. Um, to be blunt, the building was getting kind of worn down inside and out, looked a little beat up, and that didn't help with the uh, self-image of the people uh, here. So now we've uh, done major revisions uh, structurally within the building, uh, you know, sprucing it up. But also we added two pretty dramatic big murals on the outside of the building. One faces the historical society here in Bangor and depicts huge mural depicts uh, main historical and cultural figures. And then on the other corner, the second street side, uh, we have a big mural that depicts uh, main athletes of prominence like Joan Benoit uh, Samuelson. Uh, so that really gives us a new image. Uh, and then now we're really branching out into kind of community action. Like I said, uh, this neighborhood has long faced uh, challenges and together place uh, is showing that we're uh, not only part of the solution, but we're helping to lead the solution uh, by working on bringing this neighborhood together, organizing people, and having people in recovery help lead with um, neighborhood revitalization efforts. Okay, very good. Thank you for giving us that history and overview. You had talked a little bit about the statistics of um, addiction and, and uh, mental health issues within the community you serve. What about from an, a larger perspective? I know in the United States, um, you know, we hear a lot about mental health issues across the board and and certainly addiction and the, and the opioid crisis. Um, but but in, in terms of Maine, do you know if Maine has any particular standing within the, you know, the addiction part of it? Are there more people addicted in Maine in general as compared to the United States or do they pretty much fall in line with the national yes, averages? Uh, Unfortunately, uh, at least recent statistics and, and, you know, some of the statistics are still coming in from the pandemic. Uh, but, uh, Maine, uh, sadly was one of the top 10, uh, overdose states in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's different than those who remember back, you know, in the seventies or eighties, people always kind of viewed this as an inner city kind of issue or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, sadly, a lot of, uh, rural areas have, face this challenge as well, and, and, and unfortunately, Maine is, is one of the top 10 per capita in that regard, and eastern Maine in particular. So uh, there was a recent study from UMaine saying that eastern Maine, which uh, most uh, prominently included Penobscot County, Piscataquis, and Washington counties, uh, had a higher rate than most uh, any other part of the state of Maine. Hmm. So there's a lot going on, uh, on here. And then, as you might imagine, Bangor, as you know, is 
uh, serves a giant region. In some ways, I think of Bangor as kind of like a western uh, state city in some ways in that even though we're not a huge population city, we serve this vast geography. Sure. And so if someone has a mental health or substance use issue, a lot of times services for that are just not offered in some of the small, you know, basically villages <laughs> that mm-hmm. are in the surrounding uh, region. And so a lot of times people end up coming to Bangor for those services, which is good, but it also means that Bangor has a, an even higher ratio of folks who, who need uh, mental health and substance use services. So Bangor is a particular kind of pressure point, and this neighborhood where Together Place is located in, in particular. Sure, that, that that makes sense. I I have a home down in in um, Oakland, Maine, and um, you know a few years back it, it got raw, it got broken into in the winter. Um, two out of three years, it's on a camp road. It's not really used in the winter that much. And um, I, I do remember the police chief telling me that they were having a lot of crimes like that um, starting to occur, and it was it was predominantly um, people that were addicted to you know, opioids and we're just looking for something that they could get easily. And they never really took much like a TV or something. Um, so it really uh, kind of dawned on me at that point that, that it's more pervasive yeah. than you might think, um, you know, if you're just going about your business in the state of Maine, it, it, it is a real issue that's affected the whole country and, and, and definitely Maine. Um, right. And mental health as well. Unfortunately, sure. Maine has higher suicide rates than mm-hmm. uh, other parts of the country. Uh, which is again something that you see in uh, more uh, rural and small city uh, locations in the United States. So there's a lot of work uh, to be done, and we're trying to be creative uh, uh, about our efforts. Sure. Uh, speaking of creative, that's a good word. Uh, I, I know that you you do something uh, within your program called Creative Recovery Groups and Creative Expression. Can you tell our listeners about the principles behind? the creative recovery groups and creative expression, you know, how they're part of the Together Places approach to recovery? Sure. Well, uh, our standard offerings, if you will, um, moderated or facilitated by our certified intentional peer support specialists are totally free, and they would focus on the kind of topics you might uh, expect, like, uh, you know, the substance uh, use issues or particular different mental health issues and having people support each other in those groups. And of course, we still do and always will be offering those kinds of groups and one-on-one sessions. I'll tell your listeners, anybody just, you know, walk in or call in and say, hey, I'd I'd like to meet someone because I'm struggling and they can have a one-on-one session. Uh, You know, they don't even need to show, you know, main care insurance, nothing. Just say, hey, I I need some help and get it. And that's, that's a primary offering. But in addition to that, there's studies that have come out saying, uh, for instance, in the British Journal of Psychology, that creative expression, uh, things that it can, could include creative writing or painting um, or singing, you know, musical expression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these things help people sustain their recovery, provide a sense of of community uh, with people that you're uh, writing with or painting with uh, and kind of create sort of a lighthearted atmosphere that can be very beneficial into the, you know, uh, appropriately serious discussions we might have, you know, in our, in our regular groups. But it sort of helps establish even uh, greater camaraderie. Uh, that's what some, a lot of these studies are, are showing, uh, and a greater sense of self-worth. So we've added uh, creative recovery groups. So we'll, and, and your listeners are welcome, because uh, we do provide a stipend uh, for someone who 
wants to come in and participate in this. Uh, we'll have someone come in, say, we had a woman recently who had a degree from UCLA in uh, English literature. So she came in and worked with our, our certified intentional peer support specialist. We call them SIPs for short, and moderated a group about creative writing. And we hold an annual creative writing contest. Uh, so, in fact, your listeners are welcome. Deadline is April 17th, what our Patriots Day is. Mm-hmm. And uh, people can submit a poem or an essay or a uh, memoir. There's there's guidelines and, and rules. So people want to can go to togetherplace.org and participate. Anyone who's in recovery, who self-identifies as in mental health or substance use recovery and is a main resident, they're, they're welcome to participate. So people, your listeners might know someone who'd want to sure. participate. So we have those groups, uh, and we're also kind of consistent with our theming, if you will, in the building. So that, like I said, like before, the plaster was falling off the building outside and inside. It was kind of looking beat up. Now we totally renovated the inside. We have a 68-piece Stories of Maine exhibit, professionally done, that is about Maine arts and literature. So say you had nothing to do with recovery, you might want to come visit Together Place because it's like a museum of Maine arts and literature. And uh, so when they come into our facility, that's, that's, they're surrounded by this kind of uh, museum-style exhibit. And uh, so we'll hold groups. Uh, and now, of course, with pandemic, we also do those groups via Zoom. We had people Zoom in from Las Vegas. And mm-hmm. um, so we added this layer of what we do, and it's been really positive. Uh, the pandemic suspended part of it because we had a monthly a guest speaker who could be a writer or an artist of prominence, they'd come and speak. And rather than me introducing them, I used to uh, serve as mayor and state senator for Bangor, it wouldn't be me introducing them. We'd have one of our members mm-hmm. who would introduce. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, so it really kind of empowers our members. They serve as hosts. So it's kind of a monthly event that we'll be starting up again here as the pandemic uh, winds down, plus these these uh, creative recovery groups. That's That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting uh, to me, and I'm sure our listeners. I we had a a show on mainly matters recently on a on a different nonprofit that works with uh, veterans that are uh, have PTSD, uh, and and it's uh, it's called Project uh, Healing Waters. It's a, it's a national organization that does fly fishing, but the the synergies there are that that they the VA actually determined that. Um, when when people are able to get and meet together in groups and engage in an activity that stimulates their brain, which fly fishing does, um, they tie flies and they make rods and they go fly fishing. They actually been able to measure changes in their you know brain chemistry, and it, it just has a, a really a profound effect. So it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that the creative expression and painting, writing, singing, things that you're doing um, are helping people. And, and it's good to, to know that those things are out there and that you don't have to rely solely on, you know, drugs and medication, that there are other things out there that will make a big difference in people's lives. And glad to, glad to hear that, that you're providing that. Thank you. Um, I did watch a video that you, you had sent me before we got on this call. Uh, it's a YouTube video, and it was highlighting your neighborhood recovery initiative. I thought it was really interesting and well done. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your neighborhood recovery initiative? Yes. In fact, on April 13th at 5.30, Tuesday, April 13th, uh, we're holding another meeting of the neighborhood recovery initiative, which is just getting started, uh, but really exciting. We've got subcommittees set up. Uh, one subcommittee 
again, serving this neighborhood that is one of the lowest income neighborhoods in, in Bangor. Um, one committee is working on uh, murals. So we already have, as I mentioned, two uh, pretty wonderful murals on the outside of our building. We're going to add more. That's part of our effort to make this really a community center. So before the pandemic, people were starting to say after our renovations, hey, we want to rent out your space for an event, and we welcome that. But also, um, we're looking at bringing the neighborhood together, which is a neighborhood which hasn't had quite the same cohesiveness as, say, you know, there's different neighborhoods in Bangor, like Fairmont, Little City, where they've got their Facebook page, they've got all the people who know each other, you know, via that and that sort of thing. And this neighborhood has less of that and, and much lower home ownership uh, ratio. So we're really working on um, making this a community center for this neighborhood for in-person uh, meetings discussing uh, neighborhood issues and then also expanding out with murals. So we're going to look at locations. We have a committee working on this for uh, additional mural locations in throughout the neighborhood. Uh, and then another committee is working on a community garden. Uh, someone mentioned recently that, you know, there's community gardens, but they tend to be more outlying. So this would be one that would serve people right closer to downtown, sometimes people who don't have a, uh, a car. So it, it provides that uh, opportunity. Uh, we have another committee uh, that was initiated actually by uh, former uh, Senator, uh, State Senator Gratwick of Bangor, um, who um, said, well, let's get a handy person team together. So this will be people, including all of these include people in recovery in the process. So they're directly involved. Mm -hmm. uh, so they might go and say, mend a porch or help someone, uh, you know, repaint something on a building that uh, helps spruce up the neighborhood. Um, so the idea is really to take on what's been kind of a stigmatized neighborhood, just as often people in recovery are stigmatized, and say the people in recovery are going to help decrease the stigma, both of the neighborhood, but also showing they themselves are, are helping to lead this process for neighborhood recovery. So we're looking for people to participate and civic groups, uh, houses of worship, uh, community leaders to say, hey, you know, I'll roll up my sleeves and I'll help. Uh, get involved in this project. That's great. You you've got a lot going on. That's for sure. Um, and and we've got more to talk about because you have a lot going on. You're doing good things. So the Second Street Diner. Um, that's another part of your program. And as I understand it, it offers low cost meals to those in need. How does that work? Right. Uh, because we have a status as a, a mental health uh, facility, we have a unique. A situation where we are allowed to sell hot food uh, in exchange for EBT. We take cash, of course, as well. And uh, so it's it's very low cost. And uh, as many of your listeners may know, EBT generally cannot be used for hot food. Like even if you right. go to the grocery store and try right. to buy the hot food, uh, the, the EBT card will mm -hmm. deny it, uh, such a, a hot food purchase. But here you can. And allows for, again, an opportunity for fellowship. People come, they break bread, and then maybe they meet someone who uh, is working on their mental health issues or substance use issues, and they can join our groups. So it's just an added avenue uh, for community uh, fellowship. And again, we've kind of spruced it up a little. Uh, you know, we've added like a sign for it that says Second Street Diner on it. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of makes it a, a, a little fun in keeping with the the Stories of Maine exhibit, which really, this Stories of Maine exhibit, by the way, it has um, writing about each of the, there are these 
beautiful uh, color renderings of a book cover or a movie that has something to do with the state of Maine or what hmm. have you. But then a little um, section underneath each of text that really explains its connection to Maine or connection to a Maine writer or what have you. So it's kind of a fun setting to meet other people and, and hang out. And that's that's part of it is we say, yes, it's a recovery center, but we want the general community to say, hey, I'll, I'll come in and and maybe I'll uh, join a group or a creative group just so I can participate and meet other folks as well or come to one of our guest speakers once that gets going again after the pandemic. Sure, that, that's wonderful. It's, um, sometimes something as simple as a, as a hot meal can't be um, understated as, as how, how that can make people feel good and bring them together. How often do you do that? If, if, when do you... When is the Second Street Diner open and people oh, can... The Second Street Diner is available... Um, really from 8.30 till 2 p.m. Uh, weekdays. So people can just stroll in. Excellent. Um, now that we've shifted to a peer-run recovery center model, uh, we do, you know, make sure that things fit together. It's a little difficult with the pandemic. Sure. A lot of times groups would meet in our separate rooms. Now, because of CDC guidelines, we are meeting on the main floor. So there's a little bit of an impediment between the diner and the uh, the groups now, because we have to keep people so far spread out from each other that we use the main floor for our groups. Um, but it, it's really an added nice uh, feature. And also when we have events like these monthly speakers or some evening event or whatnot, then we can just prepare prepare food and our members participate in preparation of the food. So it, it provides uh, sometimes vocational opportunities uh, for that as well. And also just kind of that the people in recovery are the hosts. They're your welcoming hosts. Great. Well, that's, that's good. Thank you for giving us some more info on that. Um, you know, as you've touched upon briefly, and, and I think as, as many of our listeners can understand, if you're someone who is suffering and um, you've got mental health issues or you've got an addiction issue or both, uh, a lot of times you, you, know, you don't have a job um, or you don't have a place to live. And that can just be a compounding effect. You mentioned you were the uh, mayor of Bangor. We, we previously on the show we had Dan Tremble, who's currently serving as uh, the mayor of yeah. Bangor, and, and he and we talked a little bit about the the homeless um, issue in Bangor and, and about how it's not just about you know people need a job, they need a place to live, and often there's other underlying factors like mental health or addiction issues. So, in terms of your organization, I know that you you do have a you know, an employment connections component, and you also have a together place housing component to try to give people a path towards um, employment and to, you know, assist people that maybe don't have a place to live or don't have anything uh, to put in a place to live. Can you just tell us a little bit about those two things? Sure. So together place housing is actually a separate uh, corporation, but we do the management uh, for it. And that uh, offers some housing units for people who uh, qualify as having a diagnosis. And um, it's also interesting and empowering in that the residents are actually the governing body, which is similar to the peer-run recovery center. So, for example, they'll vote uh, on if there's some major expenditure issue, they vote on the decision. We bring the information to them, the staff, and then say, well, do you want to you know, fix this aspect of the building or whatnot? And they vote and decide about those matters. So it, it, a lot of times mental health housing doesn't have that model. And so we have it where, again, it gives a sense of autonomy and a role of empowerment for people who uh, are in, whether it's mental health or substance use, 
of recovery. They also have another division, um, Employment Connections, as you mentioned, and that offers some employment uh, opportunities uh, for uh, people in recovery. And then back to the housing, and this is just tentative at this point, but we are looking potentially to expand in that uh, area um, because we'd like to contribute to Bangor and, and also to this section of town and have building that's uh, managed and in effect, uh, you know, governed by people who are in recovery, but that uh, we want to find a place, uh, a building where maybe we could maintain it. You know, there's some rundown buildings around this city mm-hmm. um, and uh, work to make it something where it's a positive contribution for more housing units uh, for people uh, who have a mental health or substance use diagnosis, but also um, an opportunity to say we're we're sticking a claim, we're doing our part to add to the uh, revitalization of this section of the city. Well, well, good luck with that. I hope I hope um, that's something that does come to fruition. I'm sure it's challenging to put all those pieces yeah, together. Yeah, well, financing's a whole question, but we're yeah. looking at it and thinking. Yeah. yeah, of course, it always is, and so. Uh, good luck with that. Now, y- you talked a little bit about, um, you know, COVID, the pandemic, and and how that's affected uh, your your programs here and there. But specifically, we, we talk to a, you know a handful of nonprofits every month uh, on mainly matters, and and the pandemics you know affected all of them in different ways, and a lot of them have had to pivot and um, you know kind of reinvent their their way of delivering their their services. Um, what what has COVID meant to your program? I mean, obviously, it, it, it's been challenging. Well, it had a, you know, not surprisingly, it had a, a difficult uh, impact. Um, and, you know, for a brief period, we were flat shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, something that's lucky for us is the building we occupy, which now, like I say, is, is much improved from uh, recent years, um, also used to be an Elks Club quite a few years ago. Okay. And so it has a more floor space um, available to it. So we were able to open up for in-person um, recovery groups, for example, while still meeting all the rules of, of the CDC guidelines. So people, you know, stayed six feet apart, sure. wore masks, and we stayed within the capacity limit that was uh, set forth by the by the city. So, uh, but because we had a big enough square footage, that meant we'd hold these groups. It'd be kind of funny because you'd have, you know, sometimes, you know, groups of people where they're kind of talking across a, a big room about sure, sure. issues that usually they're in a small circle discussing. But we were able to make it work in addition to transitioning to Zoom. So we would have quite a few people also participating uh, via Zoom. And then, like I say, with it going online that way, you got kind of interestingly sometimes random or unusual people saying, hey, I'm, I live, we literally had some of that. I live in Nevada, but I'm interested in this group. Can I prove it? So, okay, sure. Interesting. <laughs> but generally, interesting. It's, it's people from Maine. Excellent. That's interesting. So, uh, you know, in regards to COVID, uh, that uh, people in Maine, you know, Maine has been kind of nationally um, discussed as a place that has been more uh, proactive in in some of the shutdowns, so to speak, and and just restrictions uh, compared to some other states. And there has been some national discussion about how the shutdowns in general across the country have contributed to mental health issues. Have you seen anything with like like an uptick in 
people that that had more issues because of the the shutdown, or has it pretty much been uh, you know steady? Yeah, I I think there has been. I won't claim that I have statistics to back this up, but with our staff, uh, the certified intentional peer support specialists, I'd say anecdotally, yes, there's an increase you know, mm-hmm. as you might expect in isolation. You know, people don't want to leave their apartment if they're lucky enough to have one, mm-hmm. um, and so. That's a challenge, and, and statistically speaking, definitely we know that there was an uh, increase in overdoses uh, during 2020 and into mm-hmm. 2021, and uh, particularly right around here, right around these kind of low-income uh, sections, uh, particularly in Bangor. Like, literally, uh, Bangor, uh, in the stats I saw from January 2020 to September 30, 2020, from produced by the University of Maine for the Attorney General's Office, um, you know, show that, that Bangor was the highest overdose rate city in the state. Wow. And this is the highest uh, overdose uh, neighborhood, no question about hmm. it. So, yeah, there, there's definite uh, uh, increases in, in problems that, that people face uh, as a result of the, the pandemic crisis. Sure. Well, um, hopefully... You know, hopefully that's going to start. We're going to turn the corner here. I know the vaccine uh, vaccinations are on the uptick and um, everyone's able to, to, to get them more or less um, in the next couple of months. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we'll put that in the rearview mirror and you can continue to do the good things you're doing. And uh, you're definitely in the right spot in the right city. So uh, good luck with that. Uh, you'd mentioned a creative writing contest, but I, I, let's let's just talk about it again uh, before we wrap up. Um What's the deadline for that? And and how? Patriots Day okay. is our deadline, so it is coming up soon. I think whatever it is, about ten days from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to togetherplace.org. Okay. Um, and there are guidelines about uh, the the rules for the creative writing contest, and, and people can either email um, us or call uh, to get the guidelines, or go to togetherplace.org. Uh, but in essence, um, people can write on any type of topic uh, and submit it uh, via email on, on some kind of document. Uh, we can't do scrawled stuff because they're not going to have time to retype it for you. you got to right. either we'll help people get to a typewriter or to a word processor, but it's got to be uh, something that's electronic. So then we can we actually uh, give awards for this uh, and cash prizes for first, second, and third place. So anyone in recovery in the state of Maine is eligible. And when I say recovery, I mean anyone uh, who self-identifies. We don't ask for paperwork. Just you self-identify as having a mental health diagnosis or self-identify as having a substance use diagnosis and you live in the state of Maine. And and you could submit. And it's fun. Um, each year we have uh, a writer um, come in who presents the awards uh, to the winners, uh, and they, you know, uh, receive, um, you know, a certificate, but also a cash prize uh, for uh, their participation. And even people who don't uh, become prize winners, uh, we have a judges panel that looks at the submissions, and then they're published in a, a chapbook that we publish every year. So they get published in that. Uh, and it's been it's been a nice point of pride for a lot of people who have participated in this, and certainly people who get the award as that- well. That's great. And so, you know, timing short by the time this podcast get up, gets out there. Um, but the great thing about podcasts is people might be listening to this particular podcast 
two months from now, six months from now, 10 months from now. So this this is an annual thing um, if people are listening. Exactly. The new cycle, people are ready to go and get ready for the next year as soon as the last one is over. Right. But will they be able to uh, participate in this program if they happen to be listening six months from now? Um, the, the yes. right, so it's, it's an annual event. This group. We do it every year. Yeah. Okay. And, so. uh, and, and, and the recovery groups I mentioned, uh, and the, and the regular, uh, groups that we mentioned, people can go to togetherplace.org and, uh, see the groups. They're public, you know, see, okay, here's a, you, you go to programs and then go to peer recovery groups calendar. And there you'll see the different recovery groups that are scheduled uh, all the time. And, you know, at least right now we're doing it via zoom. So folks, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's convenient uh, regardless of whether in person or, or not. So someone from York or, or um, Fort Kent is, is certainly welcome uh, to participate. Great, great. Now, if someone out there is listening and they feel like uh, they have a, a mental health issue or an addictive addiction issue and they um, would like to try to join your program or if someone knows someone and they want to refer someone that they think um, might benefit from your program. How, how does one go about getting evaluated and potentially enrolled? I mean, how, how does that process work? It's fairly open door and straightforward. It's all free. Uh, you can call our front desk, which is 941-2897, obviously area code 207, 941-2897. And uh, you can talk to our program director, Jackie Wilkes. But basically, uh, you come in and say, or call and say, hey, I'd like to talk to someone one-on-one because I'm struggling, or uh, look at our calendar of groups and say, geez, I'd, uh, you know, that's coming up Tuesday at 10 or whatever, and I'd like to join one of these groups or ask Jackie to give an overview of the groups uh, that we offer. Um, so people are very welcome, and, and we, don't, uh, we don't mandate a lot of paperwork. If you self-identify as someone who's in recovery, whether mental health or substance use, Come on in. In fact, if you're not in recovery and you, you, you just want to help out, um, we need volunteers all the time. Of course, we need contributions all the time. So, you know, even if you're not in recovery but care about what's happening, you know, the door's open to you as well. That's good. And I, I hope people listening um, take advantage of, of what Sean just said because I think probably many of us know people, if not most of us, that might be struggling um, one way or another. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's like one in five, and and uh, you know, <laughs> so if you've got a family that's got more than five people, right, you know, right, <laughs> generally there's somebody who knows somebody, right, you know, and, facing a challenge, and and they so might, very much and those people that are facing those challenges are the people that know uh, people that are facing those challenges. They they might not know about the together place, and uh, you know, a simple phone call, uh, visit their website, and, and and get in touch, and that might. You know, that might be the difference between saving yeah. someone. So I, I hope people take that to heart and, and really take advantage of that and maybe think about And, and we'd encourage people to get involved. Like I mentioned, um, this coming Tuesday, or, well, this will be, people will be, I know it's evergreen, so but April 13th, but come mm-hmm. check out about our Neighborhood Recovery Initiative because that's going to be going on throughout mm-hmm. 2021. And that's anybody and everybody. We have lots of people who have nothing to do with recovery but say, I care about this, and I'm glad that people in recovery are participating, so I'm going to help out as well, or people who just contribute. Uh, we did a fundraiser this uh, year that involves a photo book that celebrates Maine, celebrates Bangor, and had a lot of uh, pictures during the pandemic. You can get that on our website, and it's kind of an easy way to contribute. We get people who give 
contribute monthly. So we, we do need financial help as well to sustain our programming. Of course you do. And I, that's kind of how I was going to wrap up. But um, for the people that do want to donate or contribute, um, obviously you're, you're a, a registered nonprofit. They can just go to togetherplace.org. And I would imagine you've got uh, various ways there that people can make a contribution, um, purchase that photo book you just described. Um, are there any other, you know, funding mechanisms you might want to talk about for people that are out there listening that might not be immediately available on your website, or is that really the place to go? Well, yeah, I would say go to togetherplace.org, um, and you'll see at the top banner there, there's a, the photo book. It's called uh, Pandemic Strolls, a photo book of daily life. And really, it got some good reviews celebrating Bangor, and then we have uh, a donate button, an orange donate button on the uh, Together Place page, you know, quick and easy that way. But people use the photo book as kind of a gift for friends or put mm-hmm. it on a coffee table in their office, that kind of uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, we need people who might contribute because when I mentioned about our neighborhood recovery initiative, we're going to be raising money for murals. We're going to be raising money for a community garden. Uh, we're going to be looking for volunteers to help out fixing up the neighborhood. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to help out, even if you have nothing personally to do with recovery yourself. Well, that's great. And I, I, you know, I know I'm involved in, in some nonprofits myself personally. And when you can contribute to an organization, whether it's money or or, or you know, resources, time, uh, when you can really see the results of what you're participating in or helping uh, to do, I think that's really personally rewarding. And you know, so if someone is interested in, in contributing to the Together Place, you know, drive by the building, you see those murals, you know, you're connected to the good things that are going on within your organization. So definitely give that some thought. Um, I just often find it's more rewarding to, you know, give and participate in, in groups that you can really have a tangible connection to, as opposed to the larger ones, which, you know, still do great things, but you just, you, you just feel like you don't really know what you're, you're contributing to. If, if you're in the Bangor area or the state of Maine, uh, Together Place obviously is something you would know is affecting people right there in a positive way. So, Sean, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. I've learned a lot of, more than I thought I would about your organization and the good things that you do. Um, we really appreciate it. Is there anything you want to say before we, we sign off? Yeah. Just uh, please uh, go to togetherplace.org and volunteer or contribute or find out about uh, groups that might be helpful to someone that you know. Or call our front desk, uh, 207-941-2897, and and say I'll volunteer, or or I'm looking for services myself. Okay, well, thank you. This is John Breyer with Mainly Matters. We'll be back with a new episode soon, and thank you for stopping by.